the reason we started this series is because um, for many of us, in the next five to ten years, you're going to make some monstrous decisions, um, some decisions that really have a lot to determine the trajectory of your life. You're going to determine stuff like, who am I going to marry? You're going to determine stuff like, what am I going to do? Some of you, it starts with, what am I going to major in? For some of us, we're going to determine where we live, and we're going to make these big kind of life-altering decisions. For some of us, we're a little bit farther down the road, and it's, should I change careers? It Should I go back to school? For some of us, it's going to be a little further down the road. At what point should I retire? Should we have kids? What should we do with our kids? Because they're like 22 and we're still paying for everything. So what should I know? God, what's your will? To kick them out. You know, and so... Some of us are a little farther along again. What do I do with my parents? Parents are getting old, and there's, you know, a tension there oftentimes on how do I deal with stuff. But all of us, we're constantly making decisions that have big implications for our life. And what the thought is, is if there's a God, you would want to know his will, regardless of if you're a Christian or not. In fact, frankly, regardless if you are a theist or not, regardless if you believe in God at all, if there is a God... If that's just even a concept, not that you agree with, but just generally, if there was a God and he had a will for your life, there's a good chance that you would want to know what it is. And the interesting part is not only as Christians do we believe that there is a God, but we believe there's a personal God. We believe there's a God who intricately cares about the details of your life. We believe there's a God who so deeply loves us, who so deeply cares for us, that he doesn't sit in space and time and eternity and just watch us. He actually sent his son to the earth to die so that we could have a relationship with him. And he is a personal, relational God. But it's interesting. And it's talked about last week. One of the more interesting dichotomies that happens in the Christian life is that You have a God who exists, who is personal, who you are in relationship with, and in fact, who we believe that when you place your faith, your hope, and your trust, your belief that Jesus paid the price to give us a right standing with God, that we now have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it can be so frustrating because you have a gigantic decision to make. And you've been praying and praying and praying, and perhaps you're a little bit further along spiritually, and so you fasted for a while, and you wanted to hear from God, and you heard nothing. And you're thinking, wait a second. There's a God who exists, who's personal, whose spirit lives inside of me, and I have this situation, I have this decision to make with just incredible, extraordinary implications to the trajectory of my life, and he is silent. And here's where we went with it for the next, you know, for the last week, and here's where we're going with it. Two weeks from now, we are going to talk about a specific decision-making tree. In other words, we're going to talk very, very practically for what I see as I view the Scripture. In fact, this was the decision-making tree through which I viewed um, how do we, do we start this church, do I get married, These, for some of the bigger decisions in my life, this is the decision-making tree that I always, always, always go back to. But last week and this week, we're going to further the thought that's simple. The micro is more important than the macro. The micro is more important than the macro. In other words, the everyday thoughts, the everyday last week's submission to God and trust to God has a bigger cumulative effect on God's will and you following God's will and me following God's will for our lives than one gigantic decision. You see, here's kind of the decision-making myth or the big decision myth is what I call it. The big decision myth is essentially this. If I get who I'm going to marry 
what I'm going to do and where we're going to live right, then everything will be all right. If I choose the right person to marry, if I choose the right thing to do, and if I choose the right place to live, then life is going to be good, life is going to be happy, and we're going to live happily ever after. But here's the problem, especially for those of you who are older, you've seen this. You know people who have wonderful jobs, jobs that everyone else wishes that they had. You know people who have wonderful spouses. They just seem so understanding. They just seem, just seem to constantly, yes, 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 I agree, you know, or, or you know, whatever it is about that, that spouse. And they just have a wonderful spouse. You know people who live in wonderful cities, a.k.a. Tallahassee, you know. You know people that have all of those and yet are unhappy. Don't feel like they have purpose. Have midlife crises because they're looking for purpose. And I got all the big decisions right, but somehow I'm still missing something. And here's, here's what, what, what we're pushing these, this, this last week and this week. That the micro, the cumulative effect of your daily decisions has a greater cumulative effect on the, on the purpose, the passion, and the direction of your life than these big decisions. And we talk about God's will. We want to talk about the big things. We want to talk about, oh, man, there's this huge decision. I'm trying to figure it out. I have this pressing thing. I got a deadline. I got to decide. Let me just tell you, your daily life is so much more important. And so what I want to talk about today, I'm going to give you the whole sermon in the first five minutes, and we're going to spend the rest of the time kind of extrapolating and understanding this idea. So here's what we talked about last week, that your daily submission, my daily submission to God, us trusting in God in the daily is of greater consequence than the macro decisions. Here's what we're going to talk about this week. Who I am becoming is more important than what I'm deciding. Who I'm becoming is more important than what I'm deciding. Because again, we want to have these big decisions that say, okay, God, I'm following your will for my life. But the truth is, and what we're going to find in God's word today, is that who you're becoming is of far more importance to God because, let me kind of give you the, the, the intricacy of this, because it has a bigger effect on your ultimate purpose and your ultimate happiness, and it really ultimately affects the decisions that you're going to have to make. Now, here's what I mean by that. The small is bigger than the big, which is backwards, but... We get this in a lot of other areas, right? This is like for the person who decided 2018 is my year, new year, new me, new you. So I'm going to get in shape this year, right? Um, <laughs> I had an experience with this this week. Um, I, now, I haven't worked out in a while. Um, I know you guys are sitting there thinking like, Ben, you're, you're looking a little fluffy. That's so I'd say, okay, die. Okay, but, <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is, you know, life gets busy, whatever, excuse, excuse, excuse. Um, so I decided this week I was going to go back um, to the gym and many of you have done that, like the first day back, and, and, and uh, my gym is, you know, CrossFit because, you know, I'm an athlete, so it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> anyways, so I go back to the gym, and we're doing this particular workout, and I'm trying to take the whole thing slow and take the whole thing easy. And for some of us, you know, when we think about going back and getting back in shape, like, we're just thinking, like, okay, I'm going to just attack this and go all in, and so I'm going to run around a bunch, and I'm going to, like, jump up and, <laughs> actually, nobody thinks, like, I'm going to get in shape, let me jump up and down, but maybe you should. Um, you know, I'm going to get a, a, a smoothie little thing and throw a bunch of kale in it. And actually, let's just get some grass and some water. And my friend's got some protein, so we're going to put it all in the thing. And man, I'm going to be so healthy. And three days later, you're like, Zaxby's, you know? So I went to the gym for the first time in a long time. Now, this is how embarrassing this is. I went and I worked out, and I did a workout that involved some legs, but it was not a leg workout. Today is the first day since last Monday I have not been sore, okay? I walked into community group, our community group, we actually started last week. 
I went to the community group on Tuesday, and uh, Emily Workman, who's a part of our group, I take two steps in the door. I'm trying to, you know how it is, where like, you're so sore you can barely sit down, aka you can't sit down, so you kind of fall down as you go backwards. And I take two steps in the door, and Emily goes, and she's caring, so she goes, are you hurt? <laughs> no, I'm hurting. Because, here, here, here's, what, here's what we all know. Daily, consistently disciplining ourselves to get better, to get healthier has a greater cumulative result than having a big decision in a big week in terms of fitness. Little every single day over the course of days and weeks and months and years creates a lifestyle that is far different in terms of fitness. In fact, this is also true with studying. Some of us, the way that we study, and this is how I studied oftentimes in college, was that there would be this one night where I sit down and I just, you know, Information, information, information. You stay up till about four or five, or maybe you don't go to sleep, and then you get up for the test after about two hours of sleep, and everybody says, That's wrong, you shouldn't do that. And I think, Well, it worked for me last time, so I'm gonna keep going with it. And then you get to the test and you do well on the test, but here's the problem you don't really retain all the information. You retain it long enough to get the test, but in order to really grow in terms of your understanding of whatever field of study you're in, it's daily. And we all know that, right? But few of us do it. Now, here, here's the thing. Spiritually, it's the same way. Who you are becoming is far more important than the big decisions that you are making. Because, again, for those of us who've been around for a little while, you've seen this. You've seen people who are the type of people that for some reason they have purpose and they have passion and they have happiness no matter where they are. They can live anywhere. They can live in Atlanta or Miami or Weewa Hitchka, and they're having a ball. You know people who, no matter what they do, it seems like they find meaning and they find purpose. I mean, they find purpose as an accountant, and they, then they found purpose as a nurse, and then they found purpose as a lawyer. This is all the same person. That would be crazy, you know? And then they found purpose in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. You know, they're like, two Polynesian sausages or three? You know, and you're like, thank you, my pleasure, thank you, my pleasure, thank you, my pleasure. And they just went back and forth. And they, I mean, they were a manager at Chick-fil-A, and they just had extraordinary purpose no matter what they did. And they were the type of person that it seemed like, I mean, no matter who they were married to, they would have a good marriage. And here's why. You find somebody like that and you find somebody who has been more consumed with who to become than what to decide. Now, what's fascinating is when you have a decision, oftentimes we want to open up the Bible and say, God, where should I live? Atlanta, Jacksonville, or Tallahassee? And let me just tell you, it's Jackson. There's not Jacksonville or Atlanta. It's Tallahassee, okay? But you open the Bible, and you're looking and saying, God, where? What? Where? What? What do I decide? Let me just tell you. The Bible has very little of the specifics of what to decide. But when you start to view the scriptures through the lens in God's will of who to become, who you are called to be, pages and pages and pages of who to be over what to decide. Here's my goal for today. I'm not going to be able to convince everybody of this. I'm hoping that five or six, maybe two people, maybe one person gets this and they run with it. And this dramatically, drastically changes your life as you become obsessed with the process. You become obsessed with becoming and not the end result of the big decision. So here's what we're going to do. 
Oftentimes we go through, you know, one verse and extrapolate a lot of our, one section of, of the scriptures and extrapolate a lot of ideas out of it. Today, we're going to take a bunch of different scriptures, and I'm just going to show you over and over and over, becoming is better than deciding. Becoming is better than deciding. Becoming is better than deciding. So, God's will. Let's open up. If you've got your Bible, in fact, we're going to be back and forth, so if you don't have a Bible, you can just write this down um, in your notes, even if you have one. The first one we're going to start off with is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. This is what Paul says as he's writing the church at Ephesus. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, he starts off and saying, the days are evil, so be smart how you live. I want you to make the most of every opportunity, aka daily. I want you to make the most of every opportunity. So here's how you do that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Well, what's the Lord's will? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. This is fascinating. He says, come on. You can either be filled with the Spirit or be filled with wine. But, you know, he doesn't say, don't be drunk on much wine unless you're at a tailgate. Then it's like, okay, we get it. You know, you didn't realize what was in the punch, and then you had too much. He says, come on. You have a choice. You can either be filled with what's consuming you with, with, with wine, or you can be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, it produces in you a spirit. This is God's will for you, by the way, that it produces in you a spirit of praise. It, it produces in, in, inside of you a spirit of thanksgiving. It produces inside of you a spirit of edification. Now, it's, it's funny because we read this, and this doesn't mean that, like, we're literally to go around singing to everyone. You know, it's like our greeters at the door, how are you this morning? You know, it's no. You have a spirit inside of you that is encouraging to other people. You care more about helping other people than you care about helping yourself, how you feel. He says, this is God's will. You want to make the most of every opportunity? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Encourage one another. Rejoice with one another. Because this is God's will for you. This is the daily Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we talked about this a little bit last week. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, as your mind becomes renewed, your body becomes transformed, your life becomes transformed. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, and as your life is transformed, as your mind becomes transformed, here's God's will for you, that your life would be transformed. That you wouldn't conform to the patterns of this world. The patterns of this world is I want what's in it for me. I want what's what I want. I want what's selfish. I want mine. He says, no. You are transformed to the likeness of Jesus who loved and served and helped. Was there for the betterment. Not for the selfishness. That your life in lots of ways becomes transformed. He continues. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Verse 16, 17, 18, wonderful set of just bullet points. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. What's God's will for your life? Let me just tell you. God's will for your life is that you would continually rejoice, continually pray, and that you would continually give thanks no matter what the circumstances. Let me come on. Wouldn't that be different 
Wouldn't that be different? I'm talking about all circumstances. Not the circumstances that we find rejoiceable, but in all circumstances. You're going through a wonderful season of life or you're going through a crappy season of life. You just got into the program. You just got the job. You just got fired from the job. That relationship's ending. That you are able to rejoice. That you constantly have a spirit of prayer. That that you constantly have a sense of thanksgiving. Not a sense of expectation of what people owe me. I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful. Let me just tell you, this alone would, I mean, if you're a Christian, I don't care. This will change your life. You find a way to constantly be thankful. You find a way to constantly be empathetic. You don't have an expectation of what people owe you. You're thankful for what you have. Not in a sense that you are just content and don't ever do anything. But you're just so thankful. It actually drives you to be more motivated. He says, that's God's will for you. <laughs> yeah, but i got to make a big decision. Just stop. If you don't have the daily, how, do you, how are you going to have the big? You don't make a decision through that lens if you're not following daily. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every single circumstance you find yourself in because this is God's will for my life. Because again, who you're becoming has far greater impact than what you're deciding. He continues. Actually, this is a chapter before in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is a little bit of a churchy word if you're not familiar with the church space. Essentially what he means by this is your God's will for your life, this is God's will, that you would be set apart for his use. That you wouldn't be set apart for your own use, that you wouldn't just follow what everybody's doing, but that you would actually be set apart. Your sanctification, your separation, specifically for God, specifically for the use of God. Is his will, and he continues on what this looks like. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness, in honor, not in passion of lust. Now, as he says this, he says, come on, let me just, let's be real for a second. God's will for you is for your purity. God's will for you is for your purity. God's will for you is that you would have self-control. God's will for you, guys, is that you would see a girl and you would honor her, not use her. And just pause and say this. I know, guys, there's, there's kind of a pushback, so let me talk to guys, specifically girls. You can earmuff this part, okay? Um, guys, I know, I know how there's a couple of different pushbacks that we have when we hear this, okay? One is, yeah, but I have needs. It's like... Water is a need, okay? Oxygen is a need. I promise me. You can go your entire life without having sex, and you won't die from it, okay? Let me just tell you. I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying that's what God's calling you to. I'm saying you could. No one ever got to the doctor. They're about to die on the deathbed, and the doctor said, what's wrong? Well, they never had sex. Oh, that explains it. I get it now. <laughs> I'm not saying, no, I think that God has created that for your enjoyment, for my enjoyment, in the right context, and the other pushback we have to this is, yeah, but you gotta, 
you got to test drive the car before um, you can, you know, buy it, which I would say, I wish you would try to test drive my daughter. First, <laughs> tell that to her dad. Okay, let's just start there. Second off, I, now this, I, I probably shouldn't say, but I'm going to because it's just us, you know. Um, I'm sarcastic, and so when somebody says something that I find dumb, um, I want to be sarcastic back to that. So this would be my sarcastic answer, and I wouldn't tell you uh, one-on-one because it's way too offensive. So I'm just going to tell you everybody at the same time, okay? So, well, you, you know, you wouldn't drive a car before you test buy it. If someone gives me a Lamborghini, I'll sign on the dotted line. I don't care if it needs an oil change or not. I will sign if someone wants to give me a Lamborghini. But don't get mad at me and tell me excuses because you want to try to test drive every Kia in the lot and hoping that you might end up with a Sorento someday. <laughs> Girls, y'all are silly. Y'all are so silly. But am I right? You know, it's like, oh, but, but man, we're so witty and we're so, you know. It's just, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're just selfish. He says to honor, honor. I mean, come on, God. What if the goal was to honor one another? When Paul talks in Ephesians about marriage, we get sort of wacky because the idea is, you know, husbands, you know, you love your wives as Christ loved wives, submit to your husbands. Let me just tell you, what that means is that you would love your wife how Christ loved the church. In other words, you would put everything that you have for her betterment, for her sanctification, that in everything you do, you would say you first, not me first. In women, your only job would be to say, I will allow you to put me first. That's how biblical marriage should work. It's simple. It says to honor one another. Let me tell you, my wife and I, today is our sixth year anniversary. (laughs) Cool. Didn't expect that response. I'm not sure what to do with it now. But thank you nonetheless. Um, let, me, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. What, let me tell you what I'm so thankful for. She's here, so she's going to get embarrassed. She hates when I talk about her. So whatever. I love you. Happy anniversary. Um, let me tell you. One of the things that I love is the fact that there is a constant. We are far from perfect. <laughs> she will be the first one to tell you that. But we try to honor one another. We try to communicate as best we can. We try to put one another first. We're not perfect at it by far. In fact, I have a corner of my bedroom that currently is filled with clothes where she says, you want to put me first, clean your room, okay? I'm just saying. Let me, let me tell you. We have had such an extraordinary, so it, feel, it honestly feels like three years. It feels like two years. I mean, it just, time flew. This is the fastest six years of my life. It's the best six years of my life. You want to know why? Because I have a wife who before she met me was constantly becoming the, wrong, the right person, constantly pursuing God. Everybody's got some baggage. Everybody's got some junk. You know what, you know what I think the biggest lie is? This is a total aside, that there's marriage problems. You know what marriage problems are? Where do we squeeze the toothpaste from, the middle or the bottom? Does the toilet paper go under or over? We have single people problems, that there's issues that I haven't worked on, and we bring them into marriage, and they manifest themselves once I am connected to another person. Those are marriage problems that are really single people problems. You want to know why? Because we fall into the big decision myth. If we decide the right person, then all will be well. Let me ask you this. 
Are you becoming the right person? Because you can pick the perfect person, but if you aren't becoming the person that God has called you to be, you will always, always, always be wondering and wanting and waiting to see if there's more. Did I pick right? And you can pick people that makes it easier or harder. One of my, the guys I love to listen to, one of the famous pastors that I hear often, I would say that I know, but I don't know him, um, he says it this way, are you the person that you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that you're looking for is looking for? Let me tell you guys, you want to meet a girl? I have seen so many guys, it's, it's silly, how, who have married so far out of their league. And from time to time, I get the opportunity to do a wedding, and my schedule frees up, and I, you know, get asked to do it, and, and, and it works out. And I, I can say, you know, we're, we're gathered today on the happiest day of so-and-so and such-and-such's life. And, you know, for today, they propose that God would have them to be married and the holy bonds of Christian marriage. You know, who offers this woman? Guess kind of the whole beginning process. And then I get to talk for a second. I say, we just got to all acknowledge that, you know, Jimmy, I haven't married a Jimmy yet, so I'm just using this hypothetically. You know, you have so far outkicked your coverage, and she almost is in at this point because she's about to say, I do. So if you want to dip, you can, okay? Because we all see it like you, and then there's her. But let me, let me tell you, because girls, if you've dated a guy your entire life, and all of a sudden you meet a man who honors you and doesn't use you for his own selfish ambition, that changes how you view guys. Dads, we have a responsibility. To be that, to show that to our daughters. And we want to pick the macro. Do I pick the right person? What you decide is simply a consequence or an outcome of who you are. That's why becoming the right person is so important. Because we all make decisions based on who we are. And we want to make all of a sudden a decision that's on, that honors God when who we are isn't a person that honors God. And think that we're going to fulfill God's will for our life. Paul, on this next little piece, this is the last section that we'll read through. He says, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so live as people who are free. Now, this is, this is a very, very critical component. In fact, if you're, if you're new to church, new to faith, then perhaps nobody's ever explained this to you. The understanding is that as Christians, we are free. And how that comes into play is we believe that God is holy, that God is pure, that in him there is no sin, nor can there be any sin. We believe that we share a common problem, which is the fact that we're all sinful. You might be good, and I might be good, and you might be good compared to me, and I might be good compared to you, but we're all sinful. It just is what it is. And because we are sinful, God cannot have sin in his presence. But God didn't see our sin. This is kind of the myth of, of religion, that God saw our sin, and he hates us because of our sin. No, no, no. God saw our sin and didn't hate us for it, but sent his son to die. Because we had sinned, and not just sinned in general, we had in fact sinned against God, even if we didn't realize it, there was a payment that had to be paid. In the same way where if I break a law, if I speed, I'm going to have to pay a speeding ticket. But that payment to make us right with God could not be paid because we are all 
sinful. And a lot of times in churches, that's what they stop and say, you sinner, you sinner, you sinner, repent. What God would say, so I sent my son into the world that you could have a right standing with me, not because you were a good person, but because you placed your hope and your trust that Jesus was the payment to pay the fine, to pay the ticket that we couldn't pay. And now no matter what you do, you are now reconciled and right with God, which means you are free. You can do anything you want and be forgiven. You can do anything you want and be right with God. Which we would say, well, that's a lot of freedom. Can't you just do whatever you want then? I mean, isn't that that true? You could use it as a a license to sin. In fact, you probably know people who have done that. In fact, that might be the reason why you're not a Christian. But he says, don't use your freedom, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. But living as servants of God. In other words, God's will for you is that you would know Jesus, and then in knowing Jesus, you would be free from the moral expectation of religion. You would be free from the moral expectation that you now have a right relationship with God, not because of who you are, but because of your belief and your trust in Jesus as the substitutionary atonement for our sins. And in that, you use your freedom to love and to serve other people. Through serving God, or you would serve God through serving other people. He puts some, some, some functional to this. Verse 17. So honor everyone. <laughs> I love how he says that. Because this isn't like a honor everyone, Christians, as long as they believe like you and think like you and act like you and talk like you. He says, no, no, no. I want you to honor everyone. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they believe. I don't care if they agree with you or they disagree with you. I don't care if they agree with you socially. I don't care if they believe with you, agree with you politically. I don't care if they agree with you religiously. I don't care if they agree with you in terms of what your sexuality is. I don't care if they agree with you in terms of what your gender is. I don't care if they, if they agree with you. You honor everyone regardless, period. That is God's will for you. He said, love the brotherhood next. That's fantastic because he's talking about the inside. He's talking about the church. That's, that's so helpful because churches can get really dysfunctional at times. He says, you love one another. In fact, let, let's be honest. For a couple of us, that's why we walked away from church because you got close, and the closer you got, the more you saw behind the curtain, the more messy and the more dysfunctional it was. So you walked away from it because you said, if that's what the core is like, There's no way I want to be like the core. God says, so love the brotherhood. And he says, honor the emperor, which we're like, good. I don't have an emperor. I'm good to go with that one. But the idea is, and you honor those in authority, whether you agree or not. Again, this this isn't a contingent clause. This isn't a conditional statement. It says you honor them. Whoever them is, whoever your boss is, whoever your parents are, whoever your teacher is, whoever your spouse is, whoever your leaders are, whether it's civic, religious, political, you honor them. I mean, you can't disagree, but you honor them. This is God's will. Let me just tell you. This is so important. Because who you are determines your decisions. You live a life that daily becomes the person that is honoring God. You, live, you become the person that is daily living in God's will. 
You become the person that whatever that means for you, whatever that step is for you, whatever that place or that area is for you, you are daily doing your best to honor God, to walk with God. Let me tell you, when it comes to the big decisions, you will have an entire momentum of honoring God. And so when it comes to the next step, you can have no other choice but to honor God. But to think that we are going to honor God with the big decisions while dishonoring God in our daily life is a cognitive dissonance that just doesn't make sense. Let me tell you, who you become is so much more important than what you decide. Because what you decide is simply a byproduct of who you are. You want to honor God in the big, you honor God in the small. You become the type of person that God has called you to be. You become the best spouse. You become the, the best employee. I think Christians should, I, I think bosses should want to hire Christians left and right. They might say, I don't, <laughs> I don't agree with you. I don't see how you can place your entire hope and ideological worldview on a guy who lived thousands of years ago in some ancient documents. That seems a little loony. But let me tell you, you are a hard worker and you are honest and you have character. And I know I can trust you because you say yes and you mean yes and you say no and you mean no. I don't believe you. I don't believe what you believe. But I want to hire all of you. No, there's so much application. For some of us, becoming the right person it's changing some of our things. You know, perhaps it's, it's, it's for you. You daily just start to go to God. You daily start to spend time with him in his word. You daily start to, to seek him in prayer. For some of you, you're doing that. And it's a step of function. You actually start to, maybe you serve. Maybe you join a group. For you, perhaps it's something totally different. Maybe for you to become the person that God has called you to, you finally take the step and go seek help that everybody's been saying and you've been thinking and you've been knowing that you need. I think there's so many people who try to live life on their own, become the right person on their own, and frankly, and not, not in an a, a accusatory way, but you just need help, and that's okay. You need to talk to a professional, and that's okay. You need to hash out some problems and some issues, and that's okay. As long as you are becoming and not feel like everything I do and everything I am rides on what I decide because you will make totally different decisions if you are consumed with becoming. In fact, here's what you might find out. Not everybody. Here's what you might find out. You now have decisions that you never thought that you would have the availability to make. You're now deciding on this job that you never thought that you would have. You're now deciding on the spouse that you know is so totally out of your league. You're now deciding decisions that you never thought would be presented to you. Because when you are obsessed with the process of becoming, you become the type of person that spouses are looking for, that employers are looking for, that cities are looking for, that people are looking for, and you now gain the influence and the platform that God has called you to. And when it comes to making big decisions, you make them easily. Because we all make decisions based on who we are not what we hope to be. So, again, there's like two or three of us that are really going to buy into this and say, God, every day, surrendering to you, I'm becoming the person. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be joyous. It's going to be celebratory at times. But I hope that the few of you who just take this and run with it, you become who God has called you to be 
you fully live into God's will for your life. As you become more than you decide. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the fact that you are so clear through the pages of your word who you have called us to be. People who love, people who serve, people who are honor, people who are pure, people who are set apart, people who live so deeply and passionately becoming the people that you have called us to be, that we are not conforming to the patterns of this world. We are transformed, and we, in fact, are able to test and approve your will. Father, I pray that you would create some absolute world changers, regardless of age, as we daily decide to become the people you have called us to be. I pray that there would just be absolute buy-in to the process of becoming knowing that who we are influences what we decide. And Jesus, most of all, I thank you that you sent your son, our savior, into the world to die for us, that we now have the freedom to live a life that honors you. I pray that you would change us and consume us. And we would be consumed with becoming the people, the church, that you have called us to be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.